You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. MyMac Podcast 548, the best of the MyMac.com podcast. You're listening to the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Welcome to the MyMac.com podcast. This is number 548. Um, well, no gas, uh, not much for me this week. I, I'm basically just going to uh, give you a little preview of what's coming up here in the uh, the, the best of show. Uh, this first one, and you know we're going to revisit this, is uh, all Tim and Chad, and uh, we're we're, you know, we're going to break it up like we like we always do. We'll have little. Little sections, little sections to just kind of see it through. And in this first section, we've got a couple of great bits. Uh, Tim and Chad talking about the My Mac Guys podcast and how some of the listeners think that they should have sued them. Sue them! Next up after that is uh, Tim and Chad talking about the Motorola Rocker phone. And that's not uh, R-O-C-K-E-R with, you know, John Bon Jovi or anything like that. No, no. This is uh, Apple's first little team up with uh, producing a phone that'll play iTunes content. And Tim and Chad seem somewhat less than enamored with it. Last, before we take the first break, Sergeant Perry makes his first appearance wanting people to install Windows XP with no protection whatsoever. So without further ado, here's Tim and Chad. The next generation of radio, it's the MyMac.com podcast. Podcasting from the MyMac.com studios, it's your hosts, Tim Robertson and Chad Perry. Next generation of radio. It's the MyMac.com podcast. Podcasting from the MyMac.com studios. It's your hosts, Tim Robertson and Chad Perry. You know, I've got some email. Um, from friends of the website, mm-hmm. um, more than a few actually, which kind of surprised me. That says, "Hey, you know that there's this MyMac guys doing a podcast. You guys have been around for ten years. Of course, not doing a podcast, but mm-hmm. you guys have been around for ten years. How can you let someone else use that name? I mean, isn't that some infringement? Can't you guys stop them from doing that? And uh, you guys should sue them. A lot of people said you guys should sue them. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm not the suing type of person." Uh, and number two, we've worked with the MyMac guys. Yes, yeah, we have. We, we did a cross-promotion with <laughs> yep. them uh, when we had a whole bunch of road trip FM transmitters to mm-hmm. give away. We actually gave some to them to give to, away to their listeners as yep. well. I had a lot of fun doing it. And their podcast is really good. Yes, I enjoy it. it. Yep. It's very similar to ours as far as it's two guys and they talk about Mac stuff. Um, 
you know, we're not going to sue anybody. Uh-uh. Um, number one, they didn't even know MyMac.com was there when they chose MyMacGuys.com and started mm-hmm. their own podcast. And number two, man, this is a community. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, this isn't super business where you have to sue anybody who does something even mm-hmm. uh, remotely similar to what you're doing. Right. So, yes, we know the MyMacGuys podcast is out there. We actually recommend that you go listen to it. Absolutely. It's a good podcast. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to sue them for having a very similar name, and we actually wish them the very best of luck. Absolutely, so I think they do a great job. Absolutely, so you know, I, I, and I do appreciate the readers worrying about mm-hmm. copy infringement and someone's um, getting by in your name because if someone hears about your podcast and they go to that, they're going to get confused, and because you guys are guys and it's the MyMac guys, but mm-hmm. I can understand where the confusion might come in. But if someone accidentally downloads their podcast, they can just us and listen to it and enjoy it. I have no problem with that. Yep. I'm hoping that they'll come back and look for us, too. But even if they mm-hmm. don't, fine. You know, As yep. long as they're enjoying podcasting and it's Matt guys doing it mm-hmm. and, and it's nice guys like they are, yep. hey, more power to them. So. Go ahead for the next one. Next one, Apple, Motorola, and Singular Launch iTunes Mobile Phone. Apple, Motorola, and Singular Wireless today announced the availability of the world's first mobile phone with iTunes, enabling music fans to transfer up to 100 of their favorite songs from the iTunes jukebox on their Mac or PC to their mobile phone. Apple's iTunes software and the Motorola ROKR feature, easy-to-use menus, simple navigation and playback, and the ability to simply switch from phone to music and back again with the push of a dedicated music key. The new Motorola ROKR is available today at www.singular.com and will be sold exclusively in all singular retail locations starting tomorrow. The new Motorola ROKR with iTunes pre-installed is available for $250 with a two-year commitment at all singular stores in the U.S. and includes stereo headphones and a USB cable. Okay, we've got it up here on the website now. Um, You know... The thing is, this they've been talking about this for a long time. So it's really not a surprise to anybody. Right. And I like the iPod Nano. I may not mm-hmm. like the name all that much yet, yeah. but it'll grow on me, I know. Mm-hmm. But I still, the, the iPod Nano, I think, is really, really cool looking. It's obviously a Flash-based yeah. MP3 player, much like the Shuffle, mm-hmm. but with a very cool color screen. Yeah. Now, the iTunes phone... It's made by Motorola. Motorola, to me, has the sexiest phone in the world right now with the Razer. That yes. black Razer mm-hmm. is just bad to the bone looking. Mm-hmm. It's bad. I, you I, like it because it's all black, super slim, and has I, a little metal you know, key, No, that's not key. I, I liked the silver one first. Yeah. I, still, I still really like the, t- uh, the silver one. David yeah. Avery has one. Haven't seen it because yeah. you know I haven't actually seen David Avery in person in like you know five years, <laughs> and even then he doesn't remember. Yeah, he humors me and says, "Oh yeah, I kind of." He doesn't remember. <laughs> and but it's just a bad looking phone. Even though they're starting to show up on all the TV shows and stuff, and you know damn well next year's twenty four, they're going. Everybody's going to be using the razor. Yeah. And so that to me that is just a very cool looking phone. So knowing Motorola has this kind of design ethics, mm-hmm. what they can make, I was so looking forward to seeing what the iTunes phone would really look like. And, and you got a basic Motorola phone out. And, and then it comes out, and I look at it, and I go, oh, it looks like a phone I had about seven years ago. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just, it sucks. 
Yeah. You know, I don't know. But I know the, the Apple uh, apologists don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. It sucks. Let's be a yeah. hundred songs. Wah, it it wah. holds a hundred songs. Your shuffle holds two hundred and forty. Yeah, I, and the <laughs> shuffle is so small, I can literally mm-hmm. super glue that to the back of my current cell phone, <laughs> and it would be more powerful. I, yeah. It's, I don't know. I, you know, I'm looking at the design of this phone, and I'm not even talking about necessarily functionality. I'm sure it works great, although the headphones are butt ugly. They got these little orange pom-poms. Pom- oh, it's horrible. Um, the phone just looks plain, plain and cheap. Plain and cheap. I won't say cheap. I'll just say it's very plain. I was expecting something with a little more oomph to it. I was expecting a phone kind of like the Razer as far as the, excuse me, the sleek sexiness of it, mm-hmm. but with an iPod flavor to it. Yeah. So I was like, right. this is going to be sweet. This is going to be cool. And then this thing, I'm like, yeah. I was so looking forward. I was dying to see a picture of it. And these, the pictures of this have been leaked on the Internet for months now. Mm-hmm. I saw the exact same picture up at Engadget like four months ago. Yeah. So it was so anticlimactic to have this come out. It, it's so boring looking. It, I don't know. Yeah. You know, and I know a lot of people are probably going to be emailing me going, oh, it's, it's this, it's that. And the other. You know, to me, this is, and this is my personal opinion. This isn't the official position of MyMac.com mm-hmm. because we'd love to review one <laughs> in, in singular. <laughs> um, but I, I'm going to have to play with one to, to test functionality, but I don't know. Wah, wah. Yeah. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. All right. Attention! All right, you little namby-pamby Mac users, welcome to Boot Camp, where we will show you how to use a real computer. A real computer. Not some easy-to-use, it-just-works, lily-livered white box. You Mac users have had it too good for too long, and you've gone soft. Soft! Well, we aim to change that. Upon my command, you will install Windows XP, and you will not, and I repeat, not install any antivirus software. You will not install any anti-malware software, and you will not, under any circumstance, be allowed to install any anti-spyware software. And you will learn the horrors of computing your window-using brothers in computing use. You will forget how good you had it in the world of Macintosh. You will learn what it is like to get an infected computer just by visiting a website. When we are done with boot camp, you will run crying to your mama. Is missed. This is Optimus Prime calling all Autobots. Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast has been released. Return to base immediately so that we can all enjoy the humans talking about technology. Repeat, Optimus Prime to all Autobots. A new tech fan podcast from Spotlight Network has been released. Return to base immediately. Two men not afraid to cry. It's the G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. And welcome back to the MyMac.com podcast. In this section of the Best of Show, 
Tim and Chad score a real coup and interview Dr. Gil Emilio, former CEO of Apple Computer. And you know what? I have absolutely nothing to add to that. It was such a great interview that uh, we're just going to get right to it. Dr. Gil Emilio was the CEO of National Semiconductor, a company that had its worst loss in 30 years, but returned to record to record its greatest profit in just three years under Dr. Emilio's leadership. He's the holder or joint holder of 16 patents. It was Dr. Emilio who conceived the fabrication process for CCDs, the device used in all digital imaging technologies. He's also a member of the board of directors of the American Film Institute, but to most of our listeners, he's best known as the ex-CEO of Apple Computer and the man responsible for purchasing Next Computers and bringing back Steve Jobs to Apple. Uh, Dr. Gil Emilio, thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us today. Uh, I'm happy to be with you. Um, obviously, a lot of our listeners are going to be uh, very interested in your history with Apple Computer. Um, you were known as a turnaround master for your... Uh, days at National Semiconductor. Um, so I, I guess we should jump into a little bit of the Apple stuff, if you don't mind. No, of course. Uh, let me see. You want to jump in, Chad? I'm trying to uh, hold the cell phone up at the same time and looking at notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we've got uh, a bunch well, of... Well, let me just, uh, let me just uh, add one thing while you're checking your notes, and that is that I have been an Apple user from the founding of the company, I think uh, uh, I bought. I had to buy one of the early Apple II's when they came out, and and I have been a Mac user ever since. So long before I became a uh, CEO of Apple, I was I was already a Mac fanatic. Now you had said uh, in an interview shortly after you left Apple that uh, if there was one thing that could bring Apple back to its former glory, it's the next generation operating system, which you would started to work on with uh, the acquisition of Next. Um, has OXX developed into the kind of system that you had envisioned when you'd started on the new, the new OS? Yeah, I, I, I actually, you know, the architecture for System 10, which, which we called uh, Rhapsody as our code name in those days when we were working on it, uh, today the way it operates is almost identical to the way we designed it. Uh, there are a few there are a few minor details that are different, but the uh, concept is is almost exactly like it was on my on my uh, whiteboard in my office, uh, and uh, so we're we're thrilled that it uh, worked out. Now, obviously, guys like Avi Tabanian and many others deserve huge amounts of credit for taking you know that simple architecture that we uh, that we conceived and making it real. But uh, uh, I am thrilled to be using it. Uh, what I think everyone would agree is the is the best uh, personal computer operating system in the world. You're not going to get an argument from either of us on that score. No. Um, obviously, Apple had had a internal next generation operating system project in place called Copeland. That's right. But how did the management of the Copeland project, which started way before you became part of uh, the CEO of Apple, how did it get so out of control? Well, you know, you know, I think these things seem to take a life under them, them themselves. And if you've got to look at part of the Apple culture that existed when I arrived there, and that and that was a very much and, and there was good things about it, but there was also problems with it. It was very much a free spirit. So if you thought you had a good idea, you just go try it. You didn't worry about being bound by what your manager was telling you, or what corporate corporate focus was, or or things like that. And so. Uh, it was one of those wonderful engineering projects where there was virtually unlimited amounts of money available, uh, 
And of course, every day somebody walked in with a new idea and therefore they had to try it. And so what you had was this enormous engineering project that wasn't converging. Uh, it was just engineering for engineering's sake. And at some point, uh, it was clear to me that we had made it so, uh, uh, embellished it so much that there was no way we were going to get a practical operating system out of it. And I had to, I had to kill Copeland. And, uh, and, and salvage, out of that, we salvaged what became System 8, which was a, a uh, hybrid between System 7 and critical pieces of Copeland. And that's how we got to System 8. Now, I think everyone agrees System 8 was an enormous leap forward over, over System 7. Absolutely. Yeah, just the multitasking alone, I mean, you could finally empty the trash and go about your business and doing other tasks at the same yeah, time. Exactly. <laughs> it, which... Now, looking back under OS X, for a lot of our listeners obviously never used Mac OS 7, so they don't really understand what that means. But at the time, if you had a lot of items in your trash can and you emptied your trash, the computer would come to a grinding halt until it was done with that process. Mm. Same thing with copying files. You can only do one task at a time. And that was true of all the early uh, early Macs. In fact, almost all all the early operating systems until until we came along with the uh, the Copeland Finder and the, the... that was the most critical piece of Copeland that we used, was we used the Finder, and that had the ability to, as you say, do a number of things that did that, that better, much better memory management, but it, but it also was able to do multi-threading, and that was, uh, that was a critical improvement. Uh, reading your book, uh, on, on the Firing Line, my 500 days at Apple, I remember a, a part of the book in which you wrote, orders given to subordinates were not taken as orders, but as suggestions. Um, have you ever come across that kind of a mindset in any other company in your professional career? Well, not exactly. I would I would say that I was I was you know it was, it was my attempt at humor there, but what I, was, <laughs> I was trying to just to say was that there was a culture there that was so free spirit that it was just what I, what you just said that that that. The way I had grown up in business was that when the boss said do something, that's what you went and did. Uh, you know, at your peril, uh, uh, ignoring it. But but in terms of what we had at Apple, there the whole culture was based based around this this sort of being an outlaw. And I think I grew up over the early days when 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 Steve Jobs, who uh, was so critical to the to the future of the company, was was pretty much a free spirit. He was the guy who broke all the rules. And uh, and everyone else wanted to become the next Steve Jobs, so they thought the way to do that was to break every rule. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't run a company that way. And, Not a successful uh, the one. first year uh, of my work there was trying to bring some discipline to the organization, which we ultimately did, and which I think is is is, is probably pretty characteristic of the company today. Uh, but it was a it was a very difficult year. What was the biggest management problem? Apple, when you took over? Uh, well, I think in the beginning it was money. I mean, we were just out of money. Uh, the, uh, the, the company had built uh, enormous amounts of inventory of the Performa computers. And the Performa, if you recall, back in those early days, had some major quality problems, and they weren't selling uh, as, as well as everyone had hoped they would. So we had $2 billion of, of inventory of performer computers that weren't selling and no money in the bank. And so I had to do uh, two uh, two or three very, very important things. The first thing I had to do uh, 
was I killed a performer brand name. Uh, and, and it's not the product because there was no way we were going to, it was so tarnished at that point, there was no way we were going to, we were going to rescue it. The second thing I did was I went out and in, uh, in about a little over 90 days, I raised $660 million of new money and I brought that into the company that kept us going. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then what uh, I did was I directed Ellen to start a new project, um, which we called, I believe the code name was Columbia, but that ultimately became the IMAC. And the iMac was born to replace the Performa. And so uh, those were the, that, that's what we did in those early days. So out of, out, of that, out, of, out of that trauma, you know, came some wonderful things. Now, you know, I emailed you for the first time roughly three years ago. And the reason I remember the date is because my wife was still pregnant then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the age of your daughter. That's her. right. <laughs> I better. <laughs> And uh, one of the things that, because I had just got done reading your book for the first time, I was very tardy in reading it, which usually isn't like me, but in this case it was. I was just so busy for the previous few years. I finally got a chance to read it, um, and knowing what I did of Apple history up to that point, um, I've been writing MyMac.com for 11 years at this point, so um, I know the industry pretty well. And I had been arguing with a lot of other Mac writers, uh, even up to this day, that, yes, Steve Jobs gets a lot uh, and most of the credit for Apple's turnaround, but I always felt that it was the policies that you put into place and the changes that you made in those 500 days at Apple that really set the stage for maybe Steve getting a little of the credit that he really didn't deserve. And... One of the things that I have always maintained was that the iMac project was started long before Steve Jobs returned to Apple. Oh, it started more than a year before he was, he was there. And that, that was something that I definitely wanted to clear up, definitely, because a lot of people point to the release of the iMac and the huge success that it had and continues to have as a testament to Steve Jobs' brilliance. However, that wasn't a project that he started. Well, you know, I think I think in, in in business, like in so many other walks of life, there's the you know there's the unvarnished truth, and then there's the mythology. Uh, and it's rare that the that the you know that the unvarnished truth really comes out. I th- I would say only a handful of people who were very close to what was going on in the days I was there really were aware of how much of the foundation for Apple's future success we laid during during that uh, that time, including the what what became the ultimate famous white paper I wrote on uh, here's how we need to rebuild Apple to be great. What is amazing to me is that virtually everything that I wrote in that paper has has, has come to pass. We started some of it but didn't get to implement nearly enough. But Steve, I think, who uh, uh, bought into most of the ideas I had in there, just continued to uh, develop those things. And one of the things I even predicted 10 years ago was that was that the Apple would ultimately move to the Intel platform. It's kind of interesting to see that that, uh, that just recently took place. Well, here's another one, and I don't know if anybody's uh, reminded you of this recently or not, especially in, uh, in what's going on in the world right now. On page 275 and 276 of your book, um, you wrote, I predict one day uh, Steve Jobs will conquer Hollywood as dramatically as he conquered Silicon Valley. Michael Eisner, watch out. Steve Jobs now has a new talent on his resume, displacing the CEO. 
the Walt Disney Company should or could be next. Uh, is your middle name Nostradamus? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I well, I, I, if, if, I, I may not be good at a lot of things, but I've been pretty good at you know predicting trends, and and that this one was pretty clear because because obviously I had gotten to know Steve very very well by working so closely with, him. and you uh, know you know it was it was just in my opinion it was it was just sort of reading the tea leaves. Uh, in a pretty easy way uh, as to as to what he his ambitions were. Well, you know, I could say that it, it has been uh, three years since I read your book, but obviously I picked it up this past weekend to re-familiarize myself with it before we spoke. And when I came across that, I about fell out of my chair. I went, wow, yeah. dude, this, this is a person who should be giving stock tips or something. Cause <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I do, I do, I, I do give you, you know, fun, fun talks. I, but I, but if you want some prognostication, uh, why don't I just volunteer uh, about a two-minute soliloquy on on uh, what I think is coming over the next ten years that you may find interesting, and in, and in, in the world of technology in general. Now, I'm, I won't be specific to the Mac, um, and that is that. Uh, we are at a very unique period in, in, in technological history, and, and most people aren't even, aren't even tuned into it yet, but they will be soon. Um, I have two fundamental beliefs. One belief is that technology evolves in waves, not in a nice straight line, and I think we all would probably subscribe to that. And each decade seems to have its own wave. So way back in the 80s, we had the big wave was, of course, the rise of the personal computer. Uh, in the 90s, the big wave was the rise of the Internet. You know, okay, so what do we have today? The second belief I have is that changes in one area of technology ultimately ripple through and change other areas of technology. And again, here's an example. In the 1980s, while the PC was booming quietly in the background, the telcos were putting fiber in the ground uh, in the inner exchange backbone. Uh, and of course, if you're going to lay a cable, you might as well lay a big cable. Uh, and so there was enormous amounts of bandwidth uh, available that was dark. Well, when the internet came along ten years later, and they needed all of this uh, all of this bandwidth, there it was already in the ground. So what happened? The internet doubled every sixty days for five years. And the reason it happened was because of that. So now let's now let's ask the question about what's going on now. There's three very important uh, trends going on. What I call convergence. And what convergence means is the fact that with the rise of the Internet and the Internet protocol, everyone is now beginning to standardize on that as a, as a communications vehicle. So, so, for example, you see voice over IP or you see IPTV, and you're going to see more of that. But it's not just in the protocol that you're seeing convergence. It's also... Into the, into the way that technologies are integrated. So analog and digital are coming together and content and, and computing are coming together and, and et cetera. There's, there's more and more of that, that going on. That's a, a huge, huge trend because it allows you to do things you never could do before. So that's, that's sort of big trend number one. Big trend number two is, as I think no one would disagree with, is mobile communications. You know, 10 years ago, you could uh, pick up your cell phone and make a voice call. Okay, that's cool. Today, look what you can do. You can do everything from taking pictures, sending pictures, uh, instant messages, email, and, and heaven knows what else. 
and and with third generation rolling out and fourth generation coming next decade, you're going to be doing much, much, much more of that. So that's a biggie. And then third thing that's going on is in consumer electronics, where what you have is a, a switch from analog to digital television. Now, we've been on analog standard in television for 60-odd years. We're finally changing to digital. And, by the way, at the same time, we're changing from the old NTSC standard to the high-def standard. This is an extremely disruptive change. It means you're basically going to have to replace the entire installed base of entertainment equipment out there from uh, DVDs and VCRs and TVs and camcorders and everything else. And so here we sit at the, at the, at the beginning, at, at the early stages of an era where we have three enormous upward trends uh, that, are, that, are, that are uplifting technology. Uh, and these and these three, it, it, it's, it's, it's remarkable when you have any one of these going on, as we have typically in the past, to have three happening at the same time means that uh, for the next 10 years, you're going to perceive a, an explosion in technology and technology businesses that uh, is, is unparalleled uh, with, uh, with, with the excitement of the past. I think this, this cycle will be bigger than any cycle that's come before. And, uh, and it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to be in, involved in technology, whether you're involved in the hardware side or the software side, or the communication side, or the content side, ultimately it's going to be the integration of all four of those things that's going to lead to exciting new products. And so I that's think, my prediction. I think you're already seeing a lot of that. I mean, this show right now that we're recording is a testament to the advances and the change in dichotomy when it comes to um, taking advantage of time-shifting, time-sharing, you know, we're, yeah, we're yeah, recording exactly. basically a, a radio program, except it's not on radio waves. And it's something that people will download and listen to at their leisure rather than being force-fed to them. Right. And, you know, there's so much more choice out there. So I agree with you 100%. Private Eye, Mac and Tosh, and I'm here to tell you about a book written about me and my search for the Maltese Cube. Yes, it's a fine book. I think you should get it. Quiet, you. It combines technology, Mac trivia, action, murder, suspense. Oh, just tell them where to get it. I'll get to that. Romance, film noir detective fiction. I can't stand it anymore. It's called the Maltese Cube, and it was written by my Mac writer and podcaster Guy Searle. Find it on Amazon. It's only $2.99 and coming soon to the Apple's iBook store. Don't forget, it's the Maltese Cube and so inexpensive. You know you're not in it, right? I mean, the next one, right? Sure thing, Louis. You know, this could be the start of a beautiful friendship. Get the Maltese Cube on Amazon and soon in the iBook store. No shoes, no podcast. The G-Men on the MyMac.com podcast. Okay, this is the last segment we're going to have today. Um, there's some, there's some really, really great stuff here, uh, and of course, all the great stuff that came before it. 
Uh, if this is something you guys are, are interested in, please let us know. Uh, you can either contact Gaz at uh, Gaz at MyMac.com or myself at, uh, you know, Guy at MyMac.com. Right. You can also call our Skype number, which is 703-436-9501. You can reach Gaz on the Twitters at Gazmez. That's G-A-Z. Pause. M-A-Z. Pause. On Twitter. And uh, I'm Mac Parrot. Meek. So we have we do have a little bit more uh, best of mymac.com uh, coming up. And oddly enough, I'm I'm in some of these. Uh, first off, there's an early bumper by David Cohen. Uh, there's uh, one of the last dashboard minutes that I used to do way back when. Uh, there's a song by John Parr singing about what the Mac means to him that was broadcast on the 100th My Mac podcast. And speaking of which, uh, Tim and myself, a little, little bit of us live at the Grand Rapids, Michigan Apple Store. And um, it's not really, you know, one more little segment with the Dashboard Minutes. I wouldn't really call it the best of the Dashboard Minute. More like the best of my mistakes on the Dashboard Minute. Anyway. Uh, that's going to be it for me this week. If you want to get your weekly fix of Guy and Gaz, uh, we're doing the Nocilla Cast podcast hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Macintosh bias. Uh, Gaz and I will be back here next week. And again, uh, if you want to hear uh, more best of shows, we will get it to you. May we have your attention, please? We have indications that we may encounter some turbulence. Please fasten your seatbelts and stow any loose items. Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to the first MyMac.com MyMac Mini podcast. Up first we're going to listen to one of the last Guy Searle's Dashboards Minute. Guy is actually going to retire the Dashboard Minute and he's going to come up with a whole new concept that I don't want to give it away, but uh, I, I think you guys will enjoy it. But in the meantime, we do have at least four or five new dashboard minutes before Guy comes out with his new concept, and uh, I think you guys will enjoy it. So here's Guy Searle's Dashboard Minute. Listening to the Dashboard Minute right here on the MyMac Mini Podcast. Hi, everyone. Congratulations on reaching the web's foremost podcast segment that talks exclusively about dashboard widgets. Of course, I think it's also the only segment that talks about widgets, so it's still a wide open field. I'm Guy Searle, and I thank you for listening. Unless I miss my guess, this will be the first MyMac Mini podcast for us segment writers. Welcome, one and all. I hope you'll enjoy it and all the other fine segments from the hardworking folks at MyMac.com. from Taos, New Mexico, supposed to say what the Mac means to me. 
Well, I think one of the best places to look is on the internet where where you won't find pictures of people unpacking PCs. Think about it. Now, probably hard to play and make up things to say. But I just wanted everyone to hear a little bit of this Gil 12 string because that reminds me of what it's like to use a Mac. It's the whole experience. John Martellaro wrote a column a few years back. Da -da 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 called Mac Chi. It was all about Mac Chi. That's some kind of energy that you ought to be experiencing right now, and you would be if you were using your Mac. Boy, it's hard to make up words and play. But the thing is, Using a Mac involves the whole experience of computing, and Steve Jobs knows that. I just want to get up in the morning and turn the damn thing on and do something. You know, boot up that Mac and take off. That's how it is anyway. I've used these things since, God, man, nine, eight, 1984, is that possible? When they're just a little bitty box in the LC2 with a color monitor cost and eight megabytes of extra RAM cost thousands of dollars. Thousands of dollars. Jesus, man. Whew. I think I'll play some more. See a Max just like this? Just want to pick it up and do something.
Recorded live September 23rd, the Apple Store in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I'm Tim Robertson. And I'm Guy Searle. And uh, this is our 100th podcast. Yeah. Uh, looks like, I don't know, what do you think is the most popular thing people are looking at today, Guy? I would have to say that the uh, the table with all the, the laptops, the laptops seems the to be the most popular. The MacBooks seem to be gaining a lot of attention from everybody who walks in the door. And rightly so. Listening to the Dashboard Minute, heard exclusively right here on the MyMac.com podcast. Please hang up and try again. Hi, everyone. Guy Sura. Welcome again to the Dashboard Minute. This show will be a little different as I have no widgets to review, mostly because I haven't had time to write or read or do much of anything that I normally do to make this show. So, uh, in order to kind of fill my time instead, I've decided I'm going to do a, uh, I wouldn't call it a best of show. Um, well, tell you what, you listen to it, you make up your own minds. I make plenty of mistakes as I make this podcast, and uh, I won't hold back. Anyway, here it is. Hope you enjoy it. Sorry, Tim. Our friends across the pond in England have made a widget that will go through their entire their entire for sale site library, and I'm going to have to start again because that was just not what I wrote, so I'm going to stop widget and it's available from Apple's dashboard download site along with uh, with many other along with well I'm just doing really well today on any game takes you to the Spock to the Spock 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 where are you ha ah, ah try that and that created this widget has an email address which is sobox at mac.com that's s o b k S-O-B-O. I can't spell either. <laughs> if you don't have a broadband... <laughs> the ability to choose which speed you're online with. ISN... Podcast edit. And I said four, didn't I? It's really only three. <laughs> That's what I get for not doing my research and changing what it was that I'm trying to say. Duh. Of the more... What is this? More widgets? <laughs> I forgot the name of the damn widget. <sighs> well, you know, it's just kind of the way it works sometimes. And I just don't seem to have a brain. Forward symbol on the upper right takes you out of dashboard to da- to Apple's dashboard site. You'll find it as... <laughs> Get to it. I tried. I tried, Tim. I really did try. <laughs> Thanks for downloading the MyMac.com podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast at our RSS feed at MyMac.com or by visiting the iTunes Music Store's podcast section. Please send all feedback to MyMacPodcast at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the MyMac.com podcast. Thanks for downloading this podcast. You can find lots of other great podcasts on the Stoplight Network, like Four Pigs, The Bell Tolls, Geekiest Show Ever, 
International Film Club, Let's Talk Podcasts, The Casual Heroes Podcasts, Tech Fan, The Deeper Look, The Mac Gist, Nintendo Club Podcast, and Three Geeky Ladies. After show, it's the after show. I don't have Gaz here, and I feel bad because I didn't have anything recorded for the after show. So, yeah, I sang for you instead. How was that?